everybody should have a purpose statement. What are you doing, right? And we've really honed in on what we're building, why we're building it. But our purpose statement speaks to just that. And that is to make the process as extraordinary as the end result. This is the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Brought to you by G4 Marketing. Interviews with today's top home improvement entrepreneurs about marketing, sales, money, mindset, and lifestyle. Now, here's your host, Brian Kaskavalsian. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. This is Brian Kaskavalsian with G4 Marketing Group. And I am here with my longtime friend, Craig Leary, who we have been trying to get him on the podcast forever. We're going to make up for lost time. Welcome, Craig. Appreciate you being here. My pleasure. Thank you for finally having me. I've been asking for three years. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Well, you finally earned your way in. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Wait till you. All right, you guys, you're going to love Craig. He is, he's like one of the smartest people I know in this industry. Craig, you tell everybody your story you know, the two minute version of your story. And then let's dig into some of what you're doing now. This episode, let's just say this, this episode will be for our kitchen and bath design build people. That doesn't mean if you do windows and roofing and siding, you're not going to get something out of what you hear from Craig. But Craig is now in the kitchen and bath business. So we're really going to be focused on that because it's a little bit different than what we normally discuss here. And so Craig, give everybody the the two minute background on you. Sure, absolutely. So first of all, I'm not even the smartest person on this podcast, but thank you for the kind words. I will say that uh, my journey has been unusual. I set out to be a lawyer. Dad wouldn't pay for me to go to law school because he hated lawyers and something we all have in common. And so I thought, I'll show him. I'll become a high school phys ed teacher. I did that for a year. I hated it. Truthfully, I hated the children. Not very popular thing to say, but so I ended up taking a job. I started canvassing after one year of teaching and 33 years later, I'm still in the industry. And along that way, I've had the pleasure of working in the wholesale end where I learned a lot about the industry. But most of my time has been in the retail end and I've worked for some of the best and brightest. I think the the turning point in my career was I got a call from Dave Yoho to interview for a role on his team. And after six weeks of interviews, which will resonate with anyone that knows Dave, I got the job, went to work for him, and uh, that just opened up a lot of doors. So in that journey, I worked for some of the smartest people I've met in this industry. I've been working for, I have been to work for Thompson Creek Window as the marketing, VP of marketing, as he called it, sales and marketing. And I was the chief operating officer at uh, West Shore Home and ultimately decided, you know, if I was going to work for somebody that was really challenging, it might as well be myself. Both great guys, learned a ton from them. So about a little over three years ago, I bought a small half a million dollar a year, 30 year old remodeling company. And it doesn't look much like it did the day we bought it. We've really scaled the business and built that business with the intent of coaching and consulting, which I've been doing, as you know, Brian, pretty consistently for about 13 years. So yeah, that's my story. I chose the kitchen and bath business because I was tired of 18, 20% lead cost. And I've discovered that I can have a lower lead cost, but it pay, you pay a price in many other areas. So yeah, the journey. So yeah, kitchen and bath, the custom side of it, which is 
what you're doing is a very different business than the, you know, quick turn replacement business that we mostly talk about here. But I think we leave some of the kitchen and bath people maybe behind. And so do you want to just talk about what are some of the differences between that the business that you're currently in and the one that really you come from, which is, you know, the replacement side? Yeah, I mean, I thought naively that, oh, there's a lot of similarities and I'll just have a lower marketing cost and more repeat and referral business and get to, you know, use the creative side that I, I have. And now what I know is it's a very similar business with some important distinctions. The biggest distinction I would say, though, is that the process is necessary to be successful in the kitchen and bath space, whether you're design build or you're doing more pull and replace type work or somewhere in between, the processes are critical because when we sell a window or siding or a roofing, we have somewhat limited selections. But when we sell a kitchen, we're literally ordering every part out of a catalog. And so the customer expectations are significantly different. The customer journey is significantly different. There's more subjectivity than we experience, for example, with a roofing sale or a window sale. And we need to really paint the proper expectation of what the customer is going to get. And so, yeah, the, the, the processes are critical. And ironically, the processes that are required to be successful are also the processes that would allow a business like, like this to scale which as you know, Brian, is my goal. I want to prove that we can build a scalable business in in this space. Yeah. And unlike what you told everybody at Accelerate, I did say if anybody could do it, it would be you. And you're well on your way to doing it. I mean, last, do you mind sharing some numbers? Yeah, no problem. No, No problem. So when we bought this business, we knew we didn't want to be a half million dollar company. I knew that I wasn't going to take it. They had one and a half employees when we bought it. And I knew I wasn't going to take the place of of the owner. And so we had actually took a a unique route and we said, okay, we're going to burn some cash and we're going to build the business we want that does two things. It lets me surround myself with really good, bright people and lets me work on my consulting business. And I had a number that I said, okay, I can burn this much cash. I burned a lot more than that, unfortunately. A couple of things happened you might have heard of, uh, COVID being one of them. But at the end of the day, you know, we ended up in a situation where we got the business we wanted, we're profitable, and we paid a price. No different if we had gone out. I'm, I'm actually out right now looking at an acquisition. It's actually turned out to be less expensive than if I were to acquire this business. And so we paid for that along the way. But where we're at right now is we're going to do about $6.5 million in installs, and $7 million this year in sales, uh, we're sitting on a profitable backlog, and that's an important distinction, of about $3.7 million. And you know, we're not quite where we want to be. We're, we're on our way to a 50% gross margin. Currently, we're operating at a 47% gross margin, and we just had a price increase that gets us to the 50%, but unfortunately, we won't see the, the benefit of that for about six months. And the interesting thing about the price increase, we had it on March 1st, and on March 8th, the sales team hit the monthly sales target. So the price increase was non-consequential. So for people who wonder, can I survive a price increase? The answer is absolutely. The team didn't even bat an eye and they hit their their sales goal, you know, eight days into the month. Nice. Wow. So, you know, you mentioned, so you mentioned a couple of things. So you mentioned the team, 
that you built because you did not want to run the company. So it might have been different in terms of burning cash. You know, you say burning cash, but what you really did was you knew, okay, I need to invest a certain amount of money into building the right team and building the right processes and systems. Yeah, right? that's that's a much better way to articulate it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, for other people, maybe it would have been burning cash, but you know, you had a plan going into it. So what are the mistakes? Let's let's talk about this. So what are the mistakes that you see being made in that part of the business, the, the kitchen bath kind of design build side of the business? What are the big mistakes that you see happening there? Yeah, so I would say the first mistake is to allow significant slippage and grippage in terms of your profit margins, right? So when you look at your gross margin, you really need to understand slippage and grippage. And, you know, naively, we think grippage when we, when we have a higher margin on a project than we anticipated, we think that's exciting. What we really need to realize is it just means we have an unpredictable sales model, right? So not paying attention to that, right? That's the metric that tells you, okay, yes, we have a repeatable and predictable sales business. Beyond that, I made this mistake. I didn't fully understand my unit economics. I thought I could be in a 40% margin business and foolishly, I couldn't have been more wrong. My math was simple. I'm no longer paying 18% for a lead. I'm going to pay 3%, three and a half. I mean, for marketing, I'm going to pay three and a half percent. I've got all this extra money. It didn't work that way. So really understanding your profit model and really understanding your break-even as calculated by the strength of your backlog as well as your overhead to get you to a break-even that includes your target net margin, right? Don't get caught in this trap of a break-even is, you know, what I need to cover my bills. I mean, why do this, right? Your break-even needs to include your target net margin. And I, I would say those are the common mistakes. A mistake we made is we did grow too quickly. Some of that was purely driven by my ego. And some of that was driven by market conditions. You know, clearly there's been no better time to do this. And I think a lot of people have fallen prey to that, but we, you know, we've settled down because of the team, we've settled down significantly. Yeah. And it's interesting too, you know, you're talking about 50% gross margin. Are you talking material labor or do you include commissions in there as well? We do not because it would be complex with our model because we do pay a salary. Okay. And you want to make sure that you're you have 100% allocation for your cost of goods sold, and it's hard to allocate a salary. So we only put things above the line that we can allocate to a job. Why, why did you choose to do salary versus commission? Well, we did something unique that, frankly, I was convinced wasn't going to work. But we started off with a, with a couple of really sales-minded salespeople and thought we could make them designers. Well, that didn't go so well. And then we said, we're going to do the opposite. And I was very reluctant to do this. We said, uh, we said, we're going to take some designers and we're going to teach them how to sell. And that has worked remarkably well. I would yeah. say, yeah. I mean, they, actually. Yeah. And, and, you know, they're, they're not closers and that's a good thing. You know, they are process oriented and teaching them, you know, to ask for the business was a little challenging, but we have five people. We don't have any risk on the team. And then we have a sales manager that oversees them. We don't have any risk on the team and everybody's hitting their, their numbers every month. And yeah, they've really adapted well to it. So I want to talk about the consulting side of the business in a few minutes, but sticking with this. So you, you mentioned the importance of the team that you've built. We were talking a little bit about that core group that you've got, the, the process 
yeah. building people. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because I'm fascinated by that because I came up in that business. I was introduced to the home improvement business at, in college and I sold high-end kitchens and bathrooms. I'm a 21-year-old kid that didn't know crap about anything. My friend's company, his parents owned a kitchen and bath showroom. They had a construction company. They opened the showroom. And I became a designer slash 100% commission salesperson for them. I didn't know anything, but I started designing kitchens and bathrooms. And what would happen is we would start the job and they loved us. I mean, that first day, they were so excited. They loved us. We were we demoed, we cleaned up, and it was all downhill from there. And so and I think that that's part of the problem with that business is that the jobs take so long. So what you're doing is you're saying, okay, how do I take that and how do I make this into a replicatable, consistent, reliable process. Am I correct? Yeah, Yeah, you're spot on. And in fact, our purpose as a company, so everybody should have a purpose statement. What are you doing? Right. And we've really honed in on what we're building, why we're building it. But our purpose statement speaks to just that. And that is to make the process as extraordinary as the end result. Right. And if you ask anyone in the organization, they will, and you say, what is our purpose? They'll say to make the process as extraordinary as the end result. Because we discovered that we were building some really beautiful projects. And at the end of the day, we couldn't understand why are these customers not like, you know, singing our praises? And well, it's because we made their life hell from, from what you described day one when they're super excited to, you know, and so. We built out a sort of a unique thing. In fact, I was talking to a G4 customer that I work with who is phenomenal. He's just a bright guy. And he said, how do you afford to have a business systems group in your company? And my response was, how do you afford not to? Not to, yeah. yeah. And the reality is we have three, three people on that team. And I'm going to name their names. Alex Carpenter, Brent, and Terrell. Alex is in charge. And then Brent and Terrell you know, work for Alex. And they're all like 12 years old and they're super smart and they have really allowed us to build a process that sets the right expectation for the customer and lives up to that expectation. But furthermore, has really prevented us from having problem uh, problems happen more than once or twice, right? Because they're adept at understanding the problem, root causing the problem and creating solutions. They're also, even though they're young kids, I mean, I shouldn't call them kids. It sounds like a pejorative, but everyone's a kid compared to me these days. And they're, they're very adept at driving behavioral change, right? And so I don't worry about implementation. So when we implement a change, right, we create an SOP for it. We create all the tools. We create a process flow map. Everything lives in the process flow map. And then we execute. And then they automatically go into what we call sustainment phase, where they have a systematic way of checking on the execution. Because how many times in your business do you execute on something and then you assume it's happening? But as we know, behavioral change is really challenging. Yep. And then you're like, what the hell happened there? Like, I thought we agreed. And and these group has just really masterfully done that. And they also support the different departments. Terrell uh, supports sales and marketing as a data analyst and does some admin functions. So they're not strictly business systems. And Brent does the same for operations. And, and they also help with my consulting clients, which is really exciting. Yeah. 
Builder Prime is changing the game for home improvement contractors. Imagine having everything you need to help your business grow in one place. CRM, estimating marketing automation with SMS, production management software, and now call center dialer integration, all wrapped into one easy to use package. And it's never been easier to switch CRMs. Hundreds of contractors trust Builder Prime to grow their businesses with powerful reporting tools to see which leads are making money, which sales reps are the top performers, and where to optimize for the greatest impact. We're talking about winning more jobs, boosting productivity, and delighting your customers. Are you ready to fuel your business growth even faster without all the daily frustrations of your current tech stack? You owe it to yourself, your team, and your business to learn why everyone is switching over to Builder Prime, the only true does-it-all CRM for home improvement contractors. Head over to builderprime.com and request a personalized demo with an expert today. I got two thoughts at once. So I've learned, I, I better write it down. Otherwise I'm going to forget. <laughs> so on the process side, so I know you do a lot within the CRM. We talked a little bit, you and I talked about that last week, but is it, how much is it the technology? How much is it the people. Mm, Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And when you ask the question about what we as an industry do wrong out of the, out of the gate, I would say this is true of exterior remodelers as well as, as interior remodelers. I come, I rarely come across a company that has effectively implemented their CRM and most people do it hastily. So the reality is, you know, you can have the best CRM in the world, but if you can't execute on three things, which three things, which obviously require the right people, you're never going to effectively implement it. So the three things are mapping out your current processes, mapping out your future state processes to make sure you're getting the right data that you need to manage the business, and then doing a gap analysis on your current CRM or whatever CRM you're vetting to make sure that you can live with what the capabilities are. As an example, I am a huge fan of MarketSharp. I, I have been a supporter of theirs for years. I love their product. For my particular business, the one thing I couldn't get my hands around, though, was I couldn't capture time in a stage. And that's so critical to the flow of our business that I ended up you know, having to migrate to a different system. So the direct answer to your question is the reason that they're under-implemented, typically, CRMs, is because... You don't take the time or have the right people necessary to execute and fully leverage the system. You know, what you just said was a little complicated in terms of doing it the right way, right? I don't even know if it's true. I just repeated something on my, someone on my team said. <laughs> no, it is. No, I think well, it is true. It's like there's a lot you got to think true. through because, look, the computer is only as good as what we put into it. Yeah, And yeah. so how do you determine what you are putting into it? How do you determine what those stages are? How do yeah. you determine yeah. if you're successful within those stages, especially with what you do? I mean, look, I love the replacement business because it's boom, it's quick. One day, two days in, out, collect your money and move on to the next. Your business, you're there for what? 30 50, 60, 80 yeah. days. Yeah. We're doing $175,000 basement now. We're going to finish it on time. 
but you know, it's a it's a four and a half month project. You know, I do think is the the accountability on what you just described is really on us. You know, the business owners because we're instant gratification people typically, and we want something off the shelf that's going to serve our business. And you know, yeah. So I guess what I described is slightly complicated. But the reality is, if you don't take that approach and you rely on anything, any tool to support your business without challenging what the business actually needs versus the capability of the tool, you'll find that you're going to underutilize the tool. It doesn't matter what it is. So challenge yourself to really think through, what do I need? What can I accept not getting? And then move forward. So with our current CRM, we knew going in, there were two limitations. One was their ability to filter data was horrible. And so we knew we were going to have to use a third-party tool to create all of our dashboards. And then they've since fixed that, by the way, which was a big win. And then managing our overall calendar, because we don't use subcontractors. Everybody's an internal employee. Managing our overall calendar was going to require a third-party app for us, which we didn't love. But we knew going into it, okay, here's the limitations. We got a big win when they said, hey, we partnered with this company and they're going to create your dashboards and you have, you know, the, the visibility. But we we absolutely vetted that software because we didn't want to move on from market sharp. We absolutely loved it. And then one last thought on that for the exterior folks, and I'm working with a couple of clients right now that are market sharp users. You know, you've got to make sure that you're leveraging that. There are things in your business that can be done in market sharp that you're just not doing. And I love Trello, for example, but when I see people who have market sharp managing production through Trello, you're under leveraging the system, you know, and there's a way around that. There's a way to fix that. So me and Craig are now doing this Zoom via my cell phone. So we were talking about the business being complicated. Here, I'm going to get comfortable now. The business being complicated. And, but that's, you know, but that separates the really successful from the not successful. And so this is part of the reason why we say all the time as an owner, you can't be working in your business. You got to be working on your business. And so what does that mean? So tell us about, so it's really interesting. So you started this business, but you said, I'm not going to be working in the business. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I have a, because I have, you know, I've got a consulting business. Yeah. And so talk a little bit about that because that's weird for most people because they're so they're so stuck inside of their businesses. It's like the number one thing of, if you really want to be successful, you've got to get yourself out. And so you can work on the business. Yeah. Before I respond to that, let's not lose the fact that it's really ironic that you're having technical difficulties when we're talking about under leveraged software and, you know, and so, yeah. So I went into this, you know, at my age with the experiences I had, And I thought long and hard about what really excites me. And what excites me is working with people and watching them grow. And so I did set out deliberately to 
run my business on, you know, I started off about 20 hours a week and then 15 and now, now 10. And I couldn't do that alone. I mean, I leveraged the resources of Certified Contractors Network, who I know you're partnered with. And, you know, some of the key things we built into our business has been from that. But that's an example of me working on the business, right? How many times has, have people on the call left, you know, Accelerate or some other event and said, I'm going to implement that. And then next thing you know, you're out running a lead or you're on the roof, right? And so I was very deliberate about the fact that I was going to focus on two things. The people, I don't worry about the customers. I have not had a customer issue that I had to involve, get involved in in about 18 months. I take care wow. of the people and my team takes care of the customers. And my engagement with the customers is when I hop onto Facebook and I say, thank you for the, for the review and things like that. And so I focus on the people and the profit and they, they focus on everything else. And it's really allowed me to continue my consulting business. And that has taken new forms over, you know, over the last few years, but, and to, you know, work with young, they don't necessarily have to be young, but smart people who want to learn how to improve a business, how to grow in a business. And the best example of that is Alex Carpenter was my assistant at one of the roles I mentioned previously. And he used to walk my dog and get my lunch. And he now heads up the process improvement in our, for our company. And then Brent started with us as a carpenter's helper. And I just talked to him a couple of times. I said, this kid's smart. I'm going to pull him in and have him think about the recruiting problem. See if there's something there. And now, I mean, he's at, you know, at his age, the growth that he has shown in six months, and he's literally 22, from Carpenter's Helper to driving meaningful change in our business has been astounding. Wow. And yeah, it's crazy. What but do you working on the business. What do you attribute that to? Empowerment, you know, giving them the ability to make mistakes, giving them the ability and the tools to think critically, having a network, right? And so you going back to your, your question in the beginning, which was such a powerful question, what mistakes you know, do they make it, do we in the kitchen and bath business make? Another one is not having a right network, right? So being a part of a group and CCN, you know, Accelerate was so exciting to see so many people that, you know, the message resonated because they're, you know, and so being part of a group, uh, my team works with people in our network to improve. They, you know, they bring a lot of value to those people, but they leave with a lot of value. And yeah, I would say that and you know, a little bit of luck, but I, I'll always rather be lucky than be good. Yeah. So what do you see coming for the rest of the year and kind of into next year? Are you kind of bullish about where things are headed? I mean, what do you, what do you think? I mean, obviously you are, you're looking at another company to acquire, but what do you kind of see happening? Yeah. I'm like most people, like everybody should be. I'm I don't like the expression hoping for the best and planning for the worst. I'm planning for the best and planning for the worst, right? Yeah. I don't think we're going to experience a precipitous drop in the business. I don't think we're going to go through 2008. I think there's too much money. You know, people have access to money. And, you know, I still think there's, you know, with the challenges around housing stock, people are, are tending to nest more. And, you know, to do that, you need to improve your business. Sure, there's some bumps wrong along the way. You know, it, it was painful to have to adjust our uh, budget for fuel costs and things like that. But I think, you know, we're going to see smooth sailing for a pretty good stretch here. And yeah, will leads get a little more challenging? Sure. But, you know, we started a year ago before the craziness with the war and all that. We started a year ago rethinking our marketing. 
because we knew it was too easy. And so we started to build out a, you know, better organic content and to really focus on driving organic leads. And we literally have a person whose job is to leverage promoters in our business. He also is the person that's responsible to report out on our net promoter score. And he takes a lot of pride in that. And he meets with every customer at the end of the job. And, and we track future product interest, which was meaningless to us for the last couple of years, but we know at some point that's, you know, we're going to be able to mine that out of the database and, you know, and so I'm really optimistic. I feel if you're planning effectively and you don't get caught up in this embarrassment of riches that we've all had and that I've been, you know, incredibly blessed with, and you plan for some normalcy, I think that's probably what we're going to experience. And I'm, I'm really glad you said what you said about marketing. Because I think that that's where people, if they're going to get caught anywhere, it's there. Where all of a sudden it was, you said it, and I'm glad you said it because you're admitting it. It was easy. It's been easy the last couple of years, or not years, but yeah, almost a couple of years. And it was never like that before. And so, you know. It's time now, and I'm telling all of my clients, especially the ones in mastermind groups, is, hey, we talk about it at every meeting. It's like, what are you doing to add re- to, to add more resources to marketing? And even if your lead costs are low, and Brian, we got plenty of leads, and our lead costs are low, oh no, you start working on developing new lead sources so that when things do contract, as we know they will, you're not caught you know, yeah. with your pants down. I have been encouraging people to understand the bad habits they've developed because like leads, you know, leads have been plentiful. I've, I've seen really good, successful companies change the way they deliver price. That's a bad habit. I've seen people change the, you know, we're big on filtering. We subscribe to the pumpkin plan. If you haven't read it, please do. But we filter based on who can we give the best customer experience to and not, you know, can we get more money on this type of project than that project, right? And so really, I would encourage everybody to look at your business and say, what bad habits did we develop in the last, let's say, 18 to 24 months? Some of them are brand risks that you, know, you might have done irreparable damage to your brand. And I, you know, I will be honest, I've seen a couple of people where I say, Boy, that is going to sting you. That is going to hurt. And then some of them, are, you know. Can you give an example of one of those without naming names? Yeah, to not call a, a prospect back because they don't fit what you want and to not contact that prospect is, to me, irreparable band, you know, to brand damage because the reality is. You know, this, you know, in this day of social media, it only takes one person to say, and it may not have happened yet, but to say, boy, I reached out and they didn't call back. And then three and four and five people are saying, yeah, I reached out too. And, you know, that is hard to recover from. And that stuff lives there forever. Right. Yeah. Or another one that is very common for, you know, two step process people or even one, one step process people that are off process is to say that I will get back to you with a quote and not do it. Yeah. A third one, I can go on for hours, but a third one is this bad habit of mailing quotes. Oh, you know, horrible. 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 And, and, you know, and then the control, this will be the last one I'll share because okay. I can literally talk about this for hours. The control around salespeople and their processes, right? Because leads have been so plentiful. 
sales have been so plentiful, we have let sales reps develop habits that probably wouldn't fly pre-pandemic, right? And 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 by the way, leads were pretty strong pre-pandemic, not not as strong as you know. There is no post-pandemic, but when things wound down, you know. And so I encourage you, please look at your business and say, have I developed bad habits as a company, and how can I, how can I start to turn that around? right now so that I'm positioned well, along with what you said, Brian, which is start adding those lead sources, right? And, you know, we're, we're trying something on YouTube right now. We don't need the leads. In fact, we can't handle the leads, but we're trying something on YouTube right now because we want to know, and we're revamping our entire message, you know, and changing our content for organic because we want to be able to, you know, hit the ground running when, you know, there is a a slight downturn. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I'm trying to figure out a nice way of saying it. And hopefully, you you know, those of you listening don't take this the wrong way. But one of the things that is required for you to seek out bad habits that have been developed or have been existent in your business all along, it requires some emotional maturity and it requires you taking your ego out of the way. And I, I think that you're absolutely right in that you've got to go and look and see what are these bad habits that we've developed and how do we start today, not a month from now, not six months from now, but how do we start to really develop those into better habits? Not, you know, perfect, but how do we take it from a bad habit to improvement? I'll share an example of what we did in our organization. You know, TQM, for all the CCN peeps out there, they know what that is. Total quality management meetings are are an integral part of our business. And about 18 months ago, we said, okay, we need a voice of the customer in here, right? And so we have a dedicated voice of the customer that talks about and questions in in the meeting. So we talk about the Jones job finished last week. Here was our projected cost. Here was our actual cost. Here was our slippage or grippage. Here's what we made. Great job to the sales rep. But then this person comes on and says to the, the design consultant, how was the customer experience? And then they say to the, to the project manager, how was the customer experience from your viewpoint? And then they share, we got a five-star review. We had a 90 on the net promoter score. And here's the pros and cons from my meeting with them. They loved the installer. They loved you know, the production manager. They thought the communication could have been better. That one kills me, but now I know, right? And so having that voice of the customer in your critical meetings, for us at least, has really helped us fix some of these habits, right? You know, because it's very easy to become, in my case, home pro centric. And so, yeah, I would encourage people to think about that. You know, it's, it's funny that you say that voice of the customer, you know, when I interviewed Brian Gottlieb from Tundraland, all of their meetings, all of their meetings, it's just like what you're talking about. There's a chair. In their case, it's an empty chair that is their customer. And everything that they do and everything they talk about, they look at that chair and they say, okay, you know, that's the voice, that's your voice of the customer. And I think, you know, we forget about that. I think there's times where we forget, we get so like, you know, like you said, home pro centric, G4 centric, you know, Brian's roofing, Brian's window, whatever centric. And we forget that the most important person in this is the person that's giving us the money. Yeah, absolutely. That is the most Brian Gottliebian, I just think I just made up a new word, thing ever, 
And that's a great example of the power of a network. Brian right? Gottlieb, <laughs> when funny. I can listen, when I can listen to Brian, you know, share, I mean, so many things about our culture, fr quite frankly, you know, were just things I stole from listening to Brian Gottlieb. I, I don't get a lot of time with him, but a couple of years ago, I was in a cigar shop in Las Vegas and I bumped into him shockingly. Um, no way. Yeah. And I could have just listened to him. Some of the things he said to me, this is when I was, I was at Thompson Creek at that time. Some of the things he said to me resonated so much that when I started my business some years later, I actually remembered them and executed on them, particularly around culture, right? Because yeah. he, is, he is just the oh, He's the king of culture. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, Craig, this has been great. This is going to be the first of many. Craig is going to be back because we didn't, there's a whole bunch of stuff we didn't even get to, but I think that we've given you guys enough to think about. I mean, the whole bad habit thing is great. The marketing, the, you know, thinking about the future, looking at your CR. I mean, we covered a lot of ground here. So Craig, I want to thank you for being here. Finally, we made it work even through all of the technical issues those watching this on, if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll see, but hopefully those listening to the podcast won't, uh, won't see all my, my mess ups, but Craig, thank you so much. I appreciate you. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. I really appreciate you. Good. Good. And to everybody listening until next time, this is Brian Kaskavalsian with G4 Marketing Group, and this is the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Let me ask you, did it help you look at your business in a different way? Did it spark an idea or ideas that you hadn't thought of before? Do you have a list of action items that you can take and implement into your business or your life today? I really hope so. If it did, I'd like to ask you a favor. Would you leave a five-star review of the podcast? By doing so, you'll help other contractors find the podcast more easily so that we can help them achieve more success, wealth, and freedom. And before you go, make sure you subscribe to the Wealthy Contractor Podcast so you get access to the latest episodes as soon as they're available. We're always striving to provide you with great content so you don't want to miss what's coming up. In fact, if you haven't already, make sure you go to thewealthycontractor.com and get your free copy of my latest book, the seven secrets to becoming a wealthy contractor. Just pay shipping and handling, and I'll take care of the cost of the book. So until next time, this is Brian Cascavalsian.